This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, January 21st, 2018. Shore up, family. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for laughter. Thank you that you brought us in this place where we could praise you with, with our, um, our voice, our heart, our hands, our feet. And Lord, as we take a look at Scripture, open our, our heart that we might be changed and transformed by your love. We pray this in your name. Amen. So our January series is called Shore Up. Shore Up to support, to prop up. We live in this world, uh, our culture, our society, where we need to shore up against um, all kinds of things that come against us, shore up um, between, with our relationship with God, us and God, shore up in our relationships with one another, and also shore up against the evil, the evil one in this world. Our shore up manual is found in the book of Ephesians. The Ephesians is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And it was written by a man named Paul who wrote a lot of the second half of the Bible. Now, two weeks ago, Mike Osman uh, spoke while we were at the youth rally, and he talked about the importance of unity among believers, how we can shore up in that way. And then last week, we talked about shoring up through righteous living with Jesus, with God as our plumb line, not the ways of the world. Mm. So this morning, we're going to consider uh, one of our most important areas to shore up, at the same time being one of our most challenging, and that's the family. The family. Now, families come in all shapes and sizes, and it's not always simple to define. Uh, if you look in a dictionary, like the first definition comes up, family is a basic social unit consisting of parents and their children, considered as a group, whether dwelling together or not. Boy, that sounds sterile, doesn't it? Anyway, then a second definition would be a social unit consisting of one or more adults together with the children they care for. I'm not sure we've quite captured it yet, though, because family goes far beyond that. What about all the other blood relatives? You know, our aunts, uncles, first, second cousins, grandparents, grandchildren, list goes on. And then what about those who are related to us by marriage? I mean, we had four kids, and now we've got eight, and we truly treat them as our own, eight, eight children. Then, of course, we've got grandchildren on top of that. And, and in addition to that, uh, there's the young lady here at church who, who's not officially connected to us through blood or marriage, but she calls us Aunt Carrie and Uncle Alan, and we treat her just like we treat our nieces and nephews. Uh, I mean, she's family to us. Family. So I want you to look around, turn your head, look one way, look the other, because what you're looking at is family. We're the family of God. We're church family. And that means that our relationships together, we have um, a special tie, something in common. Now, it might be different than those who have been or live in our household, but this too is 
family and our treatment of one another should reflect that, should reflect that special relationship that we have because it's Jesus who brings us together. It's Jesus who uh, makes us family. Mm. So how about this in family? Those people we're connected to through blood or marriage and those we treat as though they are. Does that work? Oh, yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll be kind of using that today. And as we look at shoring up those relationships against whatever would tear them apart, most especially Satan himself. So we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, as I said, and at the end of chapter 5 of Ephesians, we're given some shoring up advice uh, for the traditional core of the family, husbands and wives. Now, we know that this does not apply to everyone here. We know that some are single. Some have been single not by choice through death or divorce. And our point is to not alienate anybody at all, um, but to give strength and insight to those who are married, but also hopefully insight to all of us that it would be helpful in our relationships across the board, both inside and outside of marriage. Okay, so Paul begins this section on husbands and wives, uh, Ephesians 5.21, with this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's an S word that I one haven't been... One of your favorite been, words, isn't it, Carrie? Yeah, one of my... Yeah. I think it's a tough word. And the reason for that is because there's been a lot of abuse of power and maybe the word has been used in the wrong way and relationships have been not what God would want them. So means coming under the authority of or the will of another. Now, we actually submit all the time, whether we're you know, in the workplace, um, whether we're a student in school, we need to submit. Um, submit by paying taxes, so there's submission across the board. But what Paul is saying um, here, what we're going to look at for just a moment, is submission, what he means with husbands and wives, how we're to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ, and that's the key, out of our reverence for Christ, out of honor and respect for Jesus, we are to submit to one another. This is a very radical concept that Paul proposes here. And this is why in Hebrew world, in the world in which Paul is functioning, he was a very high-ranking Hebrew. He was on the Sanhedrin, which was like the, uh, the uh, Supreme Court for the, for the Hebrews. He was very high-ranking. He was a Pharisee as well, the, very knowledgeable. And, um, um, I'm, I'm, let me back up. I'm not a uh, Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee, which means he was, had studied the law. He was very tuned in. He was uh, very, very tuned into Hebrew world. And, and, and this goes very much against the context of that Hebrew world, because in Hebrew world, uh, uh, a woman did not hold a very high place. Uh, basically, her function was to bear children. That's why especially back in the Old Testament, when you see women who couldn't bear children, why they were so distraught, because that was like one of their primo functions, to bring forth children. And, and so Paul, uh, in, in, in Hebrew world, 
a woman did not have uh, legal rights. She was considered the possession of her husband. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just sharing with you what was. And, and, and so the morning prayer for, for many uh, a Hebrew man in that culture was th thanking God for three things. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Gentile or a non-Jew. In other words, thank you that I'm Jewish. Thank you that I'm not a slave. And number three, thank you that I'm not a woman. So that's the Hebrew context. Let's take a look at the Greek context. Now, the church of Ephesus was, was in Greece. And so this is who Paul was writing to. And in that Greek culture, women were even less honored than in the Hebrew world. Men went outside of the marriage for sexual pleasure, and wives, their purpose was to have legitimate children and for taking care of household affairs. So in addition, there was no legal procedure for divorce. It merely was the result of the whim of the husband. Mm. And things are worse yet in Roman world. That's the world that encompassed both Hebrew and Greek world because, you know, at that time, Rome basically was the world for those people. So, and, 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 and that's part of Paul's context as well. As the philosopher, the Roman philosopher Seneca wrote, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. And it wasn't their doing. The women weren't the ones doing the divorce, and it was the men. It's a male-dominated culture. They're the ones who say what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. In this context, years were dated not by numbers often, but by the names of the consuls or local leaders. Sometimes we see that in Scripture where it gives you the name of who was ruling the area at the time. According to biblical scholar William Barclay, it was said that women dated the years by the names of their husbands. It was said that uh, biblical scholar Jerome declared it true that in Rome there was a woman who was married to her 23rd husband, and she was his 21st wife. And again, that wasn't because the women were calling for divorce. They, they didn't have that kind of power. It was the men who were doing this. There was not, faithfulness was a, a pipe dream in that area at that time. And so we share all this because this was the context in which Paul wrote this scripture that we're looking at today. I mean, it really changes the way we look at this scripture because he says to husbands and wives to submit to one another. And when he says that, he is calling for a decided change, a decided change in terms of faithfulness and in terms of companionship in married life. And so, in doing so, Paul was really elevating wives in a radical way, reminding us of the way that Jesus honored women in a male-dominated culture. So then Paul goes from this simple statement to then kind of flesh it out a little more detail, first with the wives, then with the husbands, and we've kind of shortened it here. We'll see a scripture in a few minutes that expands it, but uh, basically, he's telling the wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And, and that's, I know, tough to hear, especially in a culture where we are, where submission can so often be abused. 
Uh, you know, when you're in the power position, you would, could abuse uh, when someone submits to you. But then Paul turns the tables, turning to the husbands, and he tells them to love their wives as Christ loved the church. See, both of these are based on Christ. The woman submits a, as the church submits to Christ. The husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church to the point where he was willing to die for it? Because we're the church, right? Jesus literally died. He gave himself up for her. And so what Paul is saying is, husbands, you should care for your wives to the point of literally being willing to die for them, putting their needs, their well-being ahead of your own, just like Christ did for the church, just like Christ did for us. So this idea of uh, wifely submission, although it is kind of hard to hear, it is balanced by the call of husbands to love as Christ loves. And our challenge in both cases is that we are all human, and in that humanness, we fall short. We're born with a selfish nature, and when we're selfish, it's all about I, and what's in the middle of sin is I. And so we all sin, but just think about how, if we took a look at this and tried to live it out, how different the world could be because we would be submitting to one another out of mutual respect and honor. So the question then becomes, as we live this out, who's going to go first? Who's going to take the first step? Who's going to step out in faith? Yeah, because guys, we say, well, yeah, I, I, I'd give my, if she would submit. Or I'll if she's do it gone, if you. I'd submit if I truly could believe that you would put me first. Back All right, so here's, I've studied this. I've given a lot of thought. My conclusion, now this is an Alanization, but my conclusion is husbands, listen carefully. It would be us. Because if we are called to be head of household and uh, head of wife, children, and all, leaders lead, don't they? Leaders don't follow. Leaders lead. They take charge, and it's up to us then to serve. Leaders serve, and it's up to us to put our lives down for our wives, and in so doing also our children. We're not called to see if they're submitting to us first, are we? As leaders, we lead. We take the hill and do our part, regardless of what our wives choose to do. Let me tell you something now. If we truly put our wives' well-being ahead of our own, if we truly do what Paul calls us here, that we truly put our lives literally on the line and we're willing to die for the person that we're traveling through life with, chances are pretty good it's not going to be a one-sided arrangement. Do you hear what I'm saying there? But even if it is, we're still called to lead. Amen? Amen. So we like the way that Eugene Peterson puts this. 
in, um, in the message version of the Bible, check this out. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife in the way that Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by, say it with me, giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. And see, the thing is here, it's not one or the other doing something special. It's a partnership, both giving everything they've got, submitting their lives to each other in the name of Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No. Does anybody do it perfectly? No. Is it something we can strive for? Absolutely. It boils down to love and respect. Love and respect, putting the needs of the other before our own. I have really struggled with this whole thing of submission, especially since I've been called to be a pastor. I mean, this certainly was not my idea. It was absolutely God's. But as I've lived my life out, God's given me opportunities to do this or to do that. You know, I have my own head and my own thoughts but as we live this out, it's a safe place for me to submit because Alan wants what's best for me as well. And so, and I want what's best for him and I want him to live and flourish in God's plan. So what really happens is it becomes this mutuality, which is really, really a beautiful thing. God calls us this to this, not only in marital relationships, but all relationships, especially our family relationships, treating each other as Christ treated us, giving his all, giving his life, married or not. And so if we shore up our families by treating members in this fashion, it could make a radical difference in the way that we do life. Family goes beyond blood. Family goes beyond marriage. And so if we treat our church family with love and respect, what an impact we could have on our world. What about the work family? That's really hard sometimes to operate in the work world 
with love and respect and it takes the holy spirit to help us um, not speak out and do things that are not from god what about community what about in our schools if if you're a if you're a student watch out if you're not careful you may start loving your neighbor as yourself and what a difference that could make in our world so why do we work so hard at this why is this a priority why do why are we called to this well it's because of the evil in the world that satan would want and we say this just about every week satan loves to uh, steal kill and destroy to steal our love to kill our marriages to destroy our families and so we all need to shore up against this submitting to one another in love and we do that in the name of jesus christ so karen i know about this firsthand especially when god called us to work together to start connection community church because the idea of working together was an absolute foreign concept for us at least in work world we're just so different in our styles and in our wiring and in the way we do do things not a right or wrong just very very different and especially since we had each been in our own churches prior to that and each uh, basically doing all the functions of a of, of lead pastor in those churches and then coming together and having to gosh compromise having to come to a point where we say well i guess you do do that better than I do, swallow hard. Uh, why don't you take the lead on that? <clears throat> Boy, that's tough, especially when you have egos, especially you know when you've done it yourself. And yet we had to do that because we knew Satan would like nothing better than to come between us, become between us in our marriage, because uh, it could destroy that, and in so doing would destroy our family, but in destroying that would destroy this uh, community of faith, all y'all that we call Connection Community Church. You know, Satan would love to divide the, uh, the spiritual leadership of the church. You know, this would be, oh my gosh, I, I can't imagine. And so we have to be on constant guard. And it's not always easy. Because Satan knows our hot buttons. He knows our, those things that, that, that rev us up, our weaknesses, those things that can come between us, can separate us better than we know them ourselves so we have to be kind of on guard all the time and so over the years we've had to shore up our relationships submit to each other give our very lives to each other in the name of jesus christ if something you know let's face it have we had arguments absolutely have we had horrible arguments on occasion i, I hate to admit but that's just reality but we have to make sure they don't last too long you know, especially if it happens Sunday morning or Saturday night. You know, we had one week where, man, we had like 15 seconds to square it away before we got up here, but we had to. I remember one Sunday morning we were preaching, and I had to stop and apologize to ask, to because I just couldn't even continue to preach it's, until we got yeah. it squared away. Say, and Satan knows all. I mean, you know, Satan works. He knows exactly where to hit us and 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 in our vulnerable spots and i don't want to give satan too much credit i mean i do enough on my own without but to add his help to it and it can just be absolutely a challenge and 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 
you know, we just celebrated 40 years, but it, amen. And this isn't anything on camera. It's not been a cakewalk. It's not been everyday nirvana. I mean, you know, just like any cup, we have ups and downs, you know, ups and downs. And, and some days much more challenging than others, but we have to work very hard, be, not just because we know it will destroy us, our family, and the church, and we have to work very hard, and we encourage you all to work hard as well. Has it been easy? Sure it has. Right, Carrie? Right, Alan. Okay, so we're both lying to you. <laughs> so we're both lying. Of course it's not been easy. It's hard work. Of course, anything of value is hard work, isn't it? Yeah, just like our marriages. Do we always get it right, Carrie? Hardly. Are we a work in progress? Absolutely. 40 years and we're going to keep on working at it. Is Satan winning? Never. No. Never. Never. You know who wins? Jesus Christ. You know, we know the end of the story, don't we? We know who wins. And so we know where to stay focused. And we know no matter what Satan tries to do, Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. So we're in the round, finishing up this marriage course, marriage too little, too much, <laughs> too little this, too much that, or vice versa. And um, our first night was on communication. And we, were, we wrote the course. We didn't you know, pull from you know, something on the internet. And so here, Tuesday and it's Wednesday, it's just so not one coming. Day before. It's not coming. It's not coming. And we had one of our worst arguments Tuesday night before that particular thing. And we're talking about communication. I mean, really? And so I was like, oh my goodness. But just remembering mm -hmm. that we need to keep our eyes focused this way and get things squared away. We all need mm. to. We all need to mm. square away things quickly. Yeah. And our relationships are so important. I mean, we're just not talking marital. We're just talking relationships are mm -hmm. so important because that other stuff just festers and it gets ugly and then it spirals into something mm -hmm. that is not of God. But the beautiful thing was, you know, in less than 24 hours, we were experts. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> not On communication. Yeah. So I yeah. guess that worked, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. All right, so that's the end of <laughs> chapter 5 of Ephesians. We start up in chapter 6. We're going to touch on that um, today, and then we'll finish out chapter 6 next week where we'll be preaching on the armor of God. Can't wait for that. So Paul continues sharing how to shore up families by addressing parents and children. He writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Mm. Yes, you know, we just shared a few minutes ago, the Christian faith elevated women far above uh, the surrounding culture where they placed them. And it did the same for children, the Christian faith. Jesus and Paul's writing here. And in this section, the the call for fathers not to exasperate their children is absolutely radical. I mean, background culture, if you read about like Rome at the time, uh, not only were they, they didn't care about kids, I mean, they would um, kill off children of, of one, uh, if, if it wasn't the gender they wanted, you know, it was not, it was 
children were not honored whatsoever. Now, obeying parents, honoring mother and father is kind of a given. I mean, it's part of the Ten Commandments. It's been around for centuries. But for a parent to treat the child with dignity, respect, it's radical. Radical at the time. You know, parents, here's the thing about this. God allows us to be his hands, his feet, voice, ears, shoulder, lap for our children. It's through us that they will be given a picture of what their heavenly parent is like. And the question then becomes, thanks to us, will they think of God as being loving and caring or impatient and angry? I hate to say it, but when we were early parents when we had two girls. I, I would get way too impatient. I'd get angry too easily. Uh, and and uh, thinking back, it's, it's actually, it's, I hate to even have to admit it, uh, to the point where I was on a retreat weekend and you were supposed to nail things to the cross that you're looking God to take away. I nailed impatience with my children. And praise the Lord, he he delivered. I mean, by the time the weekend was over, by the time I was home, Carrie noticed a difference in how, thanks to God. I mean, it's just a miraculous. And, 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 and I praise God for that because if I'm going to be what the kids look at, I sure don't want them to think of parent and then heavenly parent as impatient and quick to anger and and not honoring them as we should. You know, um, will they think of us loving, caring, or impatient, angry? Will, will they come to avoid God the Father, God the parent, out of fear? Or will they seek God for strength and refuge based on how we treat them? Will they know that God is full of grace and forgiveness and unconditional love? Or will God be the one they hide from, never sure what to expect, what mood they will find, because what they've experienced through us? What are we teaching our kids about God through our behavior? And, and, and in the midst of that, are we shoring up our kids against Satan through the way we treat them? It's just not in our families, but it's even here at church, the way we can love and care for our kids, our youth, and one another. It's so important because when we're in Christ, we reflect Jesus. What is the reflection that we're sharing? So we're talking about shoring up, shoring up family, not just those um, you know, who are married, not just those with kids, but all of us, because we are family in one form or another, we are. And, you know, whether it's parents and aunts and siblings and grandparents and all that, but beyond that, there's family that isn't blood family, but we are still family. I think about those relationships that are um, beyond the blood, and I, I actually think about, we were talking about my mom, who was a part of this church from the beginning, and she passed away four years ago. But what did everybody call her? Mum. I mean, she was mum to everybody. 
And it was, it's because that was a relational thing. And um, she had that role. And we have different roles with different people. And so shoring up those relationships and being helping one another be all they can be is absolutely crucial. Letting them know that you care, that we care. Letting others know that they're important. Letting others know that love is unconditional. That doesn't mean you know lack of boundaries or lack of discipline, but there's ways to have unconditional love through all of that. Putting their needs first rather than living a selfish life. We're not talking being a doormat. That's not it at all. But just um, submitting ourselves to Christ so that we can submit to those around us. That's what we're talking about today. And we go back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, when Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Jesus also said, I came, I come to serve, not be served. So Jesus is our model in our relationships, in our family units, whatever they look like. So today, we just share this scripture um, in Ephesians for each one of us in our particular context. What areas do we need to shore up in regarding this? Because really, it boils down to mutual love and respect. And I don't know about you, but I can do better in some of that. And I suspect all of us can. And why do we do that? Out of reverence to Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's live it and let's believe it. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, I, um, you know, as I've admitted, this is a tough scripture. I didn't even want to preach on it last week, but you know, we need to look at things and really see what your intent is. And so this whole idea of submission, when we look at it in the biblical Christ-centered context, is really a beautiful thing for all of us. And so help us in our relationships and uh, help us shore up out of reverence and love for you, God. God, as we trust in you when we leave this place, um, we realize that you are, um, you are our example and you're our plumb line and help us live life according to your will and your ways. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting people with Jesus.